Let's pray. Father, by your grace and for you, your glory, will you do what we have just sung? Will you turn our eyes to Christ? Will you feed our souls on his word? Will you, through your spirit, make his life flow into ours so that we may bring him great glory, the one who has shown us great grace? So may everything that is said and done this morning and the remainder of this service point to Jesus and make much of him. May you now use me to love your people well through your word in pointing them to the one who has loved them well forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us so well. This morning, I encourage you to open your copy of the Scriptures this morning to John chapter 13. So New Testament, John chapter 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If, we don't, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have a Bible for you there in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you. It's page 1070 in that copy of the church Bible. And as you're finding your place there, let me just remind you that we are concluding our gathering this morning around our Lord's table. And so if you made your way into the auditorium this morning without grabbing a communion cup, you feel free to go ahead and make your way out to the lobby and do so at this time. You won't miss much, but I do need to share with you a few things as we begin this morning. The first is that I am not feeling well. So... Those are the people in my Sunday school class, okay? So I prepped them for that. And um, so I, I'm not feeling well. I have not felt well since Tuesday. Uh, I've been at death's doorstep all week, and Joanna diagnosed me with the man cold. So whatever that is, I, th I think if I went to Google, I could probably find someone who would back the premise that the man cold is infinitely bad. And that multiple men have died from the man cold. So I, I shared that in Sunday school this morning as well. And someone said, you, you'll also find that there are a lot of women who have died because they were trying to care for a man with a man cold. So just pray for me if the sermon is not up to par. Uh, I, I will do my best. I will give my all. And so let me just tell you a little bit about where we're going as a church in the next couple of months. We're going to be moving on Sunday mornings to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament is one of the greatest love stories in the entire Bible. It's one of my favorites, and it's probably where we should go in the Old Testament after we've spent a, a little over two years in the, in the gospel of Mark, because Mark is a man's man, remember? He was all about the action. His favorite word was immediately. He's moving from scene to scene and vignette to vignette, and so I think it'd be good for us to move to the Old Testament now to a love story. The story of Ruth and Ruth and Boaz and how God works in their lives and they become the great-grandparents of a man we know well, King David. So that's beginning next Sunday. Let me just remind you this morning where we were last Sunday. 
Um, last Sunday, we began looking at the 2024 theme for our church. 2023, the theme was caring like Jesus, really caring for people well like Jesus did. And then this year, our theme in 2024 is going to be serving like Jesus. Serving like Jesus. It's putting hands and feet on that care we have for others. You see, relationships are forged through caring, but they're sustained through serving. Jesus has done that with us. He's into building long-term, long-time relationship with us, a relationship that endures forever. And for that to be true, Jesus must serve us by laying down his life for us. The same is true for us as Jesus' followers. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples on this final night in John chapter 13 with them before he dies for them. Now, if you missed last week, last week was part one of John chapter 13, and I know many of you did miss last week because you were out of town for the holidays, so I would encourage you to hop onto our YouTube channel and to check out last week's message, not right now, all right, just want to make that clear, not right now, you can do that later today, and perhaps by God's grace, what I say this morning will make more sense to you. Let's dive in to John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 31, I'm going to read through verse 35. And when he had gone out, that is Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of our God. The first week of the new year is the perfect time to get back to the basics. I remember back in high school and college when we returned from Christmas break, our first few basketball practices were all about getting back to the basics. Because of, regardless of how long you've played the game of basketball or how good you are at the game of basketball, you never outgrow the basics of basketball, dribbling. Passing, shooting, defending. And the same is true in the Christian life. You know, there, there are some Sundays and some sermons where you know from the text I'm preaching from that you're going to learn something new, even if you've been in church your whole life. And then there are some Sundays and sermons where you know from the text that you probably aren't going to learn anything new. Instead, you're going to be reminded of something you've already known because they are the basics. The basics. We never outgrow the basics of the Christian life because the basics are essential to the Christian life. And John chapter 13 is one of these basic texts. It's simple yet profound. It's Jesus teaching us to love one another as he has loved us. And we know this. We get this. We've heard this. 
Nobody in this room is going to walk out this morning thinking, wow, you know, I had no idea that God wants me to love my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Nobody's going to say that. Because this is Christianity 101. It's so basic, so fundamental that John, one of the guys in this room on this night, will write to us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23 and say this. This is God's commandment. Now notice that's singular. This is one commandment with two parts. What is it? That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and that we love one another just as he commanded us. So listen, listen. Believing on Jesus and loving one another in Jesus go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Now that doesn't mean that I become a believer in Jesus or a follower in Jesus by loving my brothers and sisters in Jesus. It means that one of the signs that I belong to Jesus is that I love my brothers and sisters in Jesus. And that's why right here in John 13, Jesus takes his disciples back to the basics. He's building on the picture he has just given them in washing their feet for them. It's the big idea that being loved by Jesus is a call to serve like Jesus because we are commanded to love like Jesus. Jesus not only then calls us to serve others, but to serve others because we love others. These are the very first words of Jesus' final words with his disciples. This is what we refer to as the upper room discourse. It's kind of a private sermon that Jesus preaches to his guys where he leads off by telling his guys that glory is coming. This verse is 31 through 33. Now, I just got to be honest with you this morning. This week, as I was prepping for this message, I was tempted to just quickly mention verses 31 through 33 in order to get to the good stuff of verses 34 and 35. I almost missed the connection that Jesus is making here between suffering and glory and love. So let's see if we can catch the connection Jesus is making here because as we come to this point in John chapter 13, we're still in the upper room. It's still the night in which Jesus will be betrayed by Judas and arrested by the soldiers. We see over in the corner now a basin of dirty water. There's a damp towel and we notice that there's an empty space at the table. Judas Iscariot has left the building. He's going to rendezvous with the religious leaders to put the finishing touches on his plan to betray Jesus. And after Judas walks out on Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, let's just admit this morning, those are some confusing verses, right? But let's also acknowledge this morning that, that we don't expect Jesus, after Judas walks out, to begin talking about glory. We, be, we would expect Jesus to begin talking about something like this. Now is the Son of Man about to be betrayed. Or now let's grieve together because of what's about to happen. Or don't be like Judas. Don't sell your soul for 30 pieces of silver. 
All of those would have been appropriate responses by Jesus, but that's not what we hear from Jesus. Instead, it's now is the Son of Man glorified. What looks to be the beginning of defeat for Jesus, Jesus knows is the beginning of glory for him. Because when Judas sets in motion the death of Jesus, Judas is executing the very redemption God has planned from eternity past. It's Judas's choice, but it's God's plan. There will be suffering for Jesus, unspeakable, incomprehensible suffering. But through that suffering, Jesus will be glorified by the Father and in that suffering, Jesus will in turn glorify the Father by obeying the Father and winning salvation for his people. Glory, suffering, and love. See, suffering is an opportunity for us to bring God glory. What Jesus is about to endure and what Judas is about to do is despicably and unequivocally evil. But the redemption that Jesus will secure is eternally and infinitely good. Death is a terrible thing. It's always been an enemy and it always will be an enemy until God deals a death blow to death in the new heavens and the new earth. How many of you are looking forward to that day? When death is dead. Forever. But, but when we know Jesus, we won't face death alone. Because later this very night, Jesus will face death like us in facing death for us. He will be in anguish at the thought of what's coming. He's going to head to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to pray and he's going to sweat out drops of blood and he's going to ask his father to remove this cup of suffering from him. Is there another way, father? Is there any other way? And Jesus will hear nothing but the deafening sound of silence from heaven. Because in the face of death, Jesus must feel what every human feels. But in the face of death, Jesus also knows what's coming on the other side of death. And that's the same privilege that you and I have as Christians. We know what comes next. First the grave and then glory. We do not face suffering or death like those who have no hope. It is appointed for everyone to die once and then the judgment. But for those who are in Christ, who believed on Christ, first the grave and then glory. The glory in suffering is that the grave isn't the end of our story. And that's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The suffering, the dying, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Suffering will not have the final say with us. God will. And when you know that, it frees you to do what Jesus does here. To love others, even in your suffering. That's the connection between suffering and glory and love. It reminds me of a man named Harold. Harold was in his late 70s. He was a member of the church I pastored in southern Illinois. Harold could, how can I put this tactfully? Harold could be a bit bristly. He could be a bit crusty. He would time my sermons down to the second and then wait for me out in the lobby after the service to tell me how long I had preached. And then he would correct any grammatical errors in my sermon. He was used by God in a very special way in my life. <laughs> that was Harold. Everybody knew Harold. They would know that about him. And then at 78 years of age, Harold was diagnosed with leukemia. And he spent his final six months on earth in a St. Louis hospital where Harold became a new man. Nearly every time our family would go to visit Harold, a nurse or doctor would pull us aside and say something like this, we've had lots of leukemia patients, but none like Harold. He's so tender and sweet. And that's when I wanted to stop them and say, is this the Harold I know? And they would say, yeah. He keeps telling us about Jesus. And he keeps acting a lot like Jesus. Harold impacted more people for God's glory in his final six months in a hospital than he did in his previous 78 years on earth. Harold did not waste his suffering. Instead, he embraced his suffering and honored God through loving others in his suffering. 2024 will undoubtedly bring hardship and suffering for many of us in this room. We don't know when or where or how, but we do know that there's glory on the other side of that suffering. And knowing that frees us to use our suffering for God's glory. So let me ask, will you tell God that right now? Will you say to him right there in your pew, God, God, use my suffering for your glory. And will you right now ask God to help you from becoming self-saturated and self-centered and self-focused in your suffering so that you can love others through your suffering? Would you tell him that right now? Would you set the stage for the new year with a new promise that God, by your grace and for your glory, I will use my suffering as a platform to demonstrate your love. That's a really big deal. Not only because glory is coming, but because love is commanded without caveat. 
Love is commanded by Jesus in the midst of his suffering. It's verse 33 where Jesus says to his guys, little children. Now let me just pause there for a moment because I, I love that little phrase. Little children. Jesus is facing the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows where Judas is headed. And yet he says to his guys, little children. It's a, it's a term of endearment. It's like when my dad sat me down just prior to my first day in in pastoral ministry. And he said, my son, my son, there are some things I need to tell you. There are some things for which I need to prepare you, my son. And Jesus uses that same tender fatherly term with his guys because he knows that what he's about to say is going to rock their world. Yet, a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. You can't go with me. You can't be with me. You can't die with me to pay the price for the redemption of my people. I must go alone. I must be alone. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I am going to die and die alone. And so this, my friends, my little children, this is goodbye. Now, there are a lot of things that Jesus is going to teach his guys on this night. I mean, this is just the beginning phrase of the upper room discourse. He's going to teach them things like he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. He's going to teach them that he is going to prepare a place for them so that when he comes again, he will receive them unto himself so that where they are, where he is, they will be also. He's going to teach them that he will send the Holy Spirit to equip them and, and empower them to accomplish, accomplish the tasks he has assigned to them. He's going to tell them that he is the vine and they are the branches, and so his life will flow into them through the Holy Spirit who will live in them. And he tells them that the world is going to hate them and hurt them, but through it all, he will have them. He won't quit on them. He'll be there for them through his Spirit who indwells them. Those are all important and vital and essential basic truths that will sustain these guys. But in verses 34 and 35, Jesus leads with the big truth. Love one another as I have loved you. So you can have all your theological I's dotted and your T's crossed. You can be a man or woman of great faith with great skills and talents and abilities. And you can back it all up with great giving and sacrifice. And yet, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, you can have all of that. And if you don't have love, it profits nothing. And that's why Jesus leads his upper room discourse with this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And maybe we're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, Jesus. A new commandment? Now, is anybody else asking this question? Anybody else thinking this? Jesus, a, a new commandment? What do you mean by that? Because, 
This is an old commandment that's rooted all the way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Anybody else thinking that? Please say so because I prepared to answer that question. All right, so, all right. This is a new commandment, Jesus says, but how can this be a new commandment when this is a commandment that's rooted in Leviticus 19, verse 18, where we read, you shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So how is this a new commandment? Well, the answer is that Jesus' command contains a new paradigm. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus is saying this, one of the reasons I have come to earth is to show you what love is and what love does. Jesus is both love personified and love exemplified. His love is a prototypical love. It's the model. That's what makes this a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So how has Jesus loved us? He's loved us by laying down his rights and privileges and prerogatives as the eternal son of God and coming to earth. He's traded his heavenly crown for an earthly cross to give himself up for us by laying his life down for us. It's what I said last week. It's what Jesus says later this night. In John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is saying, as my followers, that's the kind of love I'm calling you to. But my love isn't just the pattern for your love. My love is the propellant of your love. Because my love will fuel your love. So my love flows into you to flow through you so that you can love one another just as I have loved you. So what might that look like for us in this room this morning? Because Jesus' command extends to us. Does a, does a Jesus kind of love characterize our homes and our families? Husbands, wives, parents, children. Are we actively loving and serving one another willingly and joyfully? Or are we manipulating one another? Are we demanding from one another? Are, are we using one another? But to be totally honest with you, and you're like, well, we, we would appreciate that. Be totally honest with you, Jesus' words here aren't primarily about loving our biological family. The world can do that. See, Jesus' words here are primarily about loving our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, this family. Because Jesus' kind of love is a love that crosses cultural and ethnic boundaries. It's a love that takes different people from different places with different backgrounds and different likes and dislikes and somehow, some way, by His grace, unites them all in the love of Jesus. It's a love that begins with commitment. 
It begins with commitment. Now, contrary to what Disney says, love is not primarily a feeling. It isn't about the butterflies you feel. It's about the choices you make and the things you do because love is a commitment. Love is an action. That's why what we read earlier from 1 John 3 verse 18 is true. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is committed to seeking the highest good of another. Maybe you've attended here at Bethel for a while. But maybe you haven't confirmed your commitment to your brothers and sisters in Jesus at Bethel. You you aren't a member here yet. We invite you to join with us. We are your brothers and sisters in Jesus. We invite you to become a part of the visible one another's Jesus is speaking of here. Because love begins with commitment And secondly, love entails involvement. See, love doesn't sit on the sidelines. Love does not watch from a distance. Love gets involved. Love gets dirty, meeting the needs of others. It's 1 John 3, verse 17. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, love does what the Good Samaritan does in Luke chapter 10. Love sees the need. Love gets personally involved in that need. And then love does whatever is necessary to meet the need. So where might God be impressing upon you to meet that need here at Bethel with your brothers and sisters in Jesus? We need people to serve on our tech crew. You know, they are the lights, camera, action people that make Sunday mornings possible and make our YouTube channel possible. We need people to join our hospitality team on Sunday mornings. We need people who will show the love of Jesus to those that God intentionally brings through our doors, those who will welcome others with an open hand and an open heart, those who are willing to just be there and just show that you care. It's, it's serving in simple but powerful ways like the three specific ways I shared last week. We need nursery volunteers. We need to build a hospitality team for the upcoming Men for Christ rally right here in this room in March. We need men and women and young people to staff this year's Easter egg hunt. Let's be a church that's known for loving one another in simple ways that are powerful ways because we are serving one another in practical ways. Let's be a church that's characterized by a Jesus kind of love because as Romans 5 verse 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And when that love The love of God that's been poured into us becomes visible through us. Then what Jesus says here in verse 35 will be true of us. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, when the people who comprise this church love one another in this church, the world will take notice 
of this church. Our greatest asset in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus isn't a visitation or bus ministry. It isn't even Schomburg Christian School or our Awana ministry. Our greatest asset in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus is to love the people of Jesus like Jesus. It's so profoundly simple but it's amazingly powerful. You see, faithful preaching will be boring to unbelievers. Faithful singing will be unimpressive to unbelievers. Faithful praying will seem pointless to unbelievers. Faithful giving will be illogical to unbelievers. But faithful loving? Faithful loving will make Jesus unignorable. To unbelievers. That's the story of Jason Halopoulos, a pastor in Michigan. Here's what he writes. This is his story. He says, as a freshman college student and self-declared atheist, I attended a campus Christian fellowship to fulfill a promise to my Christian friend. It was merely duty in upholding my word. It was nothing more than that. But my life would never be the same. I walked into a room full of Christians and was struck by what I observed. Here was a diverse group. They were from every walk of life. I remember scanning the room and labeling people in my mind. There is a jock. Over there is a geek. By the way, I'm not pointing at anybody over here, all right? <laughs> there is a jock. Over there is a geek. And coming in the door is a Boy Scout. But what struck me was that they were together. They weren't just together in the same room. They were together in every sense of the word. They genuinely seemed happy to be together. Even in my atheist mind, I knew what I was seeing. They loved one another. I had no category for this. And so I kept returning to find out why they had love like this for one another. And over the course of a few months, I found the answer in Jesus. Or more accurately stated, Jesus showed me the answer. One of the best evangelism programs we can have in this church is simply to love one another well. At some point, unbelievers will have to hear the gospel proclaimed from our lips, but this strange love that we have will set the stage for that. People will know that we are his disciples because it's a shocking love. It has a gravitational attraction because it's a love that is foreign to this world. It's a love that comes only from heaven. So Bethel, we have the God-given, spirit-empowered opportunity to display the love of Jesus to our neighbors by the way that we selflessly and sacrificially love one another. Don't, don't hear this as a stern rebuke. I believe we are well on our way to becoming a church like this. We're, we're not there yet. 
But God, by God's grace, we can get there if you'll come alongside of us and if you'll join us and if you'll be all in on this with us. Together, let's be Christ's church, characterized by Christ's love. It's the preview of coming heavenly attractions that anyone can get in on, and there are two ways to get in on that love. First, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Isn't it amazing when you think back through the history of contemporary music, how many songs have been written about love? All I need is love. What's the, the Beatles sang a song? I can't, is that, was that the one the Beatles sang? You know, looking for love in all the wrong what? All the wrong places. It hasn't just been rock and roll. It's been country western. And you can tell I'm how old I am by it's rock and roll. It's country western, right? The world is looking for love. But they're looking in all the wrong places. How about you? Have you looked to Jesus? Because you will find in Jesus... A love that will satisfy your soul, not just today and tomorrow, but forever. This kind of love. Love that laid down his life for us. In this we know love. This is love personified. This is love exemplified. Jesus lays down his life for us. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he come to earth for the express purpose of laying down his life on behalf of sin, sinful people like us? Well, another guy who was in this room on this night writes to us and tells us why. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins. Not his. Ours. He's the righteous one, and he dies in the place of unrighteous ones. Why? So that he might bring us to God. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only path to forgiveness. He is the only way to a righteousness that will fit us and qualify us for heaven. When his righteousness is credited to our account at the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Have you? Because another man in this room on this night records the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 verse 28. When he says in love with his arms open wide. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will be your savior. I will be your king. Will you? Will you lay down your arms of rebellion against him and humble yourself and find in him a love that will satisfy your soul forever? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you? By grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. 
And when you look to Jesus and believe on Jesus and find in Jesus a love that will never let you go, then you can secondly learn from Jesus how to love like Jesus. You look to Jesus, you see his love, you experience his love in faith, and then you learn from Jesus how to love You look for practical ways to show his love. You take the initiative like Jesus does with washing the feet of his disciples. You become creative in expressing your love to others. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple and still be powerful. There is a man I know who after a friend of his lost his wife, his wife passed away, This man, this man now sits with his friend who lost his wife. He sits with him every Sunday in church. So when when that man lost his wife, there is an empty spot next to him. And this man, in a Baptist church, moved from the back row where he used to sit to near the front row where he now sits with his friend. And in a Baptist church, that's some big-time love. (laughs) It's a simple thing. But it's a powerful thing. So how can you be a part of helping Bethel become a more loving community? A more attractively different community? How can your loving relationships with other Bethel members be done in greater proximity to non-Christians? Who is it that you know that isn't yet a part of a Bible-believing church that you can invite to see that we here at Bethel belong to Jesus because of our love for one another? What will you do in response to Jesus' love for you? Being loved by Jesus is a call to serve like Jesus because we are commanded to love like Jesus. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Amen. Father, may you take your word And may you work in my heart and in the hearts of your people. May you conform us to the image of Jesus. Use whatever is necessary, even suffering, to bring yourself glory through our willingness through the Spirit-infused ability to love others like Jesus because we've been loved by Jesus. Make us a church that is characterized by the love of Jesus. I'm going to ask you right now or just right where you are to, to prepare yourself for communion this morning. We come to the table to both remember and proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. 
In this is love, that he laid down his life for us. So I'm going to ask you right now just to go to God. Ask him to calm your heart, quiet your heart. Confess any known sins. And prepare to partake of communion together. Father, as we come to our Lord's table, may Christ be at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. May we remember, may we never forget the price that was paid to secure our redemption and the grace and love and mercy that flowed from his veins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So may we make much of Christ now as we feed our souls on all that he is for us. In Jesus' name, amen.